0: Our Father, in our worship today, we pray that we will truly honor and exalt and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus, that He would be indeed beautified in our vision, that we would be able to see Him truly as He is and cry out, worthy is the Lamb. And now, Heavenly Father, send Your Spirit to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from Your Holy Word. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Back in the 17th century, during the time of General Oliver Cromwell, a soldier by the name of Basil Underwood had done something worthy of execution. They were rather quick in the military at that time to execute those who had broken the rules and he was to die that night at the sound of the curfew bell. What made it worse is that Basil Underwood was engaged to a woman named Bessie. She went to the judge and pleaded his case, went to Oliver Cromwell, pleaded her case again, but to no avail. Basil would be killed at the curfew bell. What happened after that is one of the most amazing stories of love that I've ever heard. For Bessie, young Bessie, climbed the tower of the belfry and actually made her way up to the bell and grabbed hold of the tongue of the bell and held on for all her life. Now the sexton from ringing the bell for so many years was deaf. He put himself to the rope and began to pull and pull. And the tongue went from side to side and he didn't know that the bell wasn't ringing. And Bessie's body was taking blow after blow until finally the sexton quit. Bessie somehow was able to climb down from the belfry and made her way out into the public court. Cromwell said, How come the bell has not been ringing for curfew? And a poet put it together like this. At his feet she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn, and her sweet young face, still haggard with the anguish it had worn, touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light, Go, your lover lives, says Cromwell. Curfew will not ring tonight. And I tell you, that is one of the greatest demonstrations of love that I have ever heard. Except this one tops it. This is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son To be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if God so loved us, we should love one another. The love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and sure. What a great theme. And it is the theme that brings us to the end of the book of Ephesians. Let me encourage you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 for this, yes, Final message in a rather long series. We actually began it almost a year ago. And uh, now we come to the end of this, I think, wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture. In verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes most likely in his own hand... ...as he would in his other letters after dictating the whole would write a sentence or two authenticating in his own handwriting that this indeed was apostolic and Pauline. And so I think that's probably what he's doing, although it's not uh, specifically mentioned in verse 21 as it is in so many other letters. It appears that that's what is happening. And he mentions Tychicus. He assumes that the readers know who Tychicus is, But he's not that well known in Scripture. I think there are five verses that mention his name. We do find out that he is an Asian and most likely from the city of Ephesus, which makes it significant. He joined Paul on the third missionary journey. He was there in Ephesus when the riot took place in the theater, Acts chapter 19. And now he's the amanuensis, he's the scribe, he's the secretary who takes the dictation down from the mighty apostle. So Paul's not writing this whole letter in his own handwriting. Most likely Tychicus is the scribe. He was sent several times, like an apostolic delegate, uh, to represent Paul. It appears that he went to Crete to be a substitute pastor for Titus and maybe is even being sent... Uh, to Ephesus later on. This will happen, uh, what, four or five years later when Paul's put back in prison. Tychicus is sent to be a Pessoal replacement for Timothy in this very city. He knew the people well. And so that's the individual we're talking about. Notice it says something about Paul's personal affection to this guy who stayed with Paul through thick and thin and was there during prison time. He said this dear brother Tychicus a word of personal affection but also a recognition of honorable character he is a faithful servant the Greek word servant is deacon here not that he necessarily had an official position but he was a servant and he was faithful he was faithful to bring the letter to the other churches he was faithful to bring news he's the one who comes Uh, to Ephesus with the letter and personal news. Tychicus will tell you everything of what I am doing and how I'm doing. I sent him for this purpose so that you might know exactly how we are faring. He's faithful to bring personal news. He's faithful to bring the letter and he's faithful to bring encouragement. Look at the last part of verse 22. I sent him so that he might encourage you. There's a lesson for us to be learned here that some of God's greatest servants are unknown. And here is a rather unknown servant, although the fact that he got his name in the Bible makes him somewhat famous. But had it not been for his writing the letter for Paul, we wouldn't know much about him. And yet, he served such a significant purpose in the life of the church. If you ever feel like you're a nobody and that you don't matter in the church, remember Tychicus. Faithful servants, individuals who serve God loyally and are trustworthy. They're the backbone of a church. And so it is with Tychicus. But what I really want to focus on are the last two verses... You'll notice in verse 23, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying heart. Now notice in verse 23, he emphasizes this idea of peace with love and faith. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of, of the book, these are the same themes he started out with, grace and peace and love. And he brings them back up at the end. It's almost like bookends, starting and ending in the very same place. But then he mentions in verse 24 grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying love. Look at these two verses. The one speaks about God's love for us, and the other speaks about our love for God. And in ending this short letter, The Apostle Paul touches on the true greatest needs that each one of us have, to know God's love and to love God with all of our heart. I mean, that's the whole of it. And there's nothing greater than knowing God's love, and there's nothing greater than loving God. So our greatest need is connected with God, and it's based on the subject of love and Let's open up that just a little bit as we come to a conclusion of this series. First of all, love from God. That's verse 23. And it's evident the Apostle Paul is highlighting the fact that God is the source of love. May peace, peace is the result of love. Peace is the result of our sins being forgiven because of the love of God that sent Christ to die on the cross. May you know peace with God, along with love, the love of God, and faith in God. If you were to go back and read the entire of this epistle, this letter from Paul to the Ephesians, you would find that the word love is mentioned, I think, about 23 different times. It is a dominant theme throughout the book. Let me just remind you that in chapter 1, Paul talks about electing love. That before the world began, God set his love upon us. That's before time. In chapter 2, it is salvific love or converting love. That is, in time, God saved us. We were born dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But the loving God, uh, God's grace and love appeared. And we were redeemed. And chapter 2 speaks eloquently about the love that God has in sending Christ to die on the cross. In chapter 3, it's experiential love. One of the greatest prayers that Paul ever prayed, at least ever recorded, that we can read, is found at the end of chapter 3, where he prays about them experiencing in detail, in depth and dimension, the love of God that cannot be comprehended. In chapter 4, he talks about love one another. It's church love. We're members of one another. Learn how to get along. Maintain the unity and the bond of peace. In chapter 5, it's sacrificial love. Just like Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So husbands, love your wives with a sacrificial love. And now we come to chapter 6. And he ends just as he began. This time it's the benedictory love, it's the love of benediction. It's as though Paul is giving his final wish, his last two prayer requests for maybe the church he loved the most, at least the church that he spent the most time with, three years. And when Paul left the elders, we read about it in Acts chapter 20, the elders of the church at Ephesus, the Bible tells us they wept and hugged and kissed each other because they had experienced the love that comes from God in wonderful unity. So that's what Paul is talking about. But let me tell you something that I learned about love from the Scriptures. Love is not primarily... An emotion it is emotional and uh, true love has emotion to it but it's not primarily an emotion i would even go a step further and say that love is not primarily an action although that's exactly what 1 corinthians ten thirteen says love does this love is patient love is kind it doesn't define love theoretically it defines love practically by what it does but love is not primarily an action you say well then what is it love is exclusively a person dear friends love one another because love comes from God and anyone who loves knows God and has been born of God because God is what? Love. And if it wasn't enough to say it once, later on, John says in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever loves lives in God and God lives in them. Love is exclusively, primarily, foundationally a person. And that's why this world can never know love to its proper depths until it knows God, who is love. So you and I need to get to know God better. We need to be acquainted with Him. This love that comes from God is nothing more than God pouring Himself into us. And that is our greatest need. Our greatest need is to know the love of God. J.I. Packer says that this statement, God is love, is one of the greatest utterances in all of the Bible. Now, God is not just love. In fact, three times in the scripture, God tells us God, the Bible tells us God is. God is light, God is spirit, and God is love. When the Bible tells us that God is spirit, it speaks of the fact that he is omnipresent. Cannot be captured only in a moment. Cannot be confined to a locale. God is spirit and without limit. When the Bible says that God is light, it speaks of his holiness. It's light versus darkness. It's holiness versus Corruption. And so when we talk about the love of God, we talk about the fact that God's love is holy. It is not corrupted in any way. And God's love is ever-present because it cannot be confined to time or space. And that's the love God has for you. God's love. We need to be so immersed in the love of God that our spirits are lifted, so taught by the love of God that we freely love others, even though perhaps their character and their actions in no way motivate us to love. But that's God's love, isn't it? He loves not because the object is lovely. He loves because he chooses to love. God's love is self-existent, that means it had no beginning. God's love is eternal, it has no end. God's love is infinite, it has no limits. God's love is holy, it is without corruption. And God's love is immense, that means we cannot comprehend it. So what does Paul pray for in chapter 3 of Ephesians? that you might understand the love of God which cannot be understood. Remember that? Turn there for a moment. Just for a moment. This is such a a great, wonderful prayer that we need to see it again. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm actually reading from the New Living Translation. It will be slightly different from yours. And Paul says, I bow the knee to the father the creator of everything both in heaven and on earth by the way those that new universe they just discovered that apparently answers all the questions of the beginning of man <laughs> god made that and knows all about it <laughs> verse 16 i pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will give you mighty inner strength through his holy spirit and i pray that christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust Him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep God's love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you'll never fully understand it. And then you'll be filled with the fullness of His life And the power that comes from God alone. So that's his prayer. I want you to know the love of God. And I want it to so radically change your life that you will never be the same. When you know the love of God, your mind and intellect expand. Your heart is enlarged. And then you're concerned about people all around you. When you talk of God's wisdom, you refer to his mind. When you talk of his power, you refer to his arm. When you talk about his word, you speak of his mouth. When you talk about his love, you talk about his heart. And God loves you. And that's what we need to capture. Victor Hugo, you may know that name as the author of Les Mis, He didn't do the music. He wrote the book before the music. One of the greatest stories that mankind has ever written. Victor Hugo said this. Supreme happiness in this life is based on the conviction that we are loved. Supreme happiness in this life is based on the conviction that we are loved. And I think there's too many Christians who don't realize that they are loved. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Dearly beloved, let's imitate God and love others. But you can't love others and you can't imitate God's love until you know you are dearly beloved. And once the love of God so grabs my heart, love from God dominates my soul. My greatest need is met. Then i don't have to worry about myself then life doesn't have to be selfish now i can pour out myself on behalf of others because the love of god fills my soul that's what paul is calling for i like what aw tozer said about this love of god that you never can totally understand Tozer said, I can no more do justice to that awesome and wonder-filled theme than a child can grasp a star. Still, by reaching toward the star, that child may call attention to the star and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. So, I will stretch out my heart toward the high, shining love of God. As someone who has not known it totally but now longs to know it so that maybe someone who doesn't know the love of God will be encouraged to find it. The love of God is one of the greatest realities of the universe. It is the pillar upon which hope rests in the world. If there is no love of God, we are in big trouble. Love from God. Paul says that I, that's what I want you to have. But notice he doesn't stop there. He now talks about the subtle change in verse 24 is love for God. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So Paul is just turning this around. Let's look at God's love for us first. And now let's look at our love for God. And that's exactly what he does in verse 24. Grace to all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. With undying love. Boy, it's been fun to to look at this verse this week. The very last word in the book of Ephesians is this word aphthartos, which means undying or incorruptible. In fact, the word love is not even in verse 24. It's just implied. And there is some study, there is some debate as to whether this word arfartos really refers to grace, God's grace to us, or our response and love to God. Some Bibles, for instance, the New English Bible, translates the sentence like this. May God's grace, which never ends, does not corrupt Be with all of those who love Jesus. And that's true. God's grace never ends. It is immortal. It is incorruptible. There's no decaying. There's no defacing. There's no wasting away. But I think the emphasis, and most translations do what the NIV does, they take this word and they connect it with our love to God. So, in essence, the prayer is this. Lord, may our love for you never show decay or corruption. And as one Greek scholar said, we're talking not only about time, but we're talking about quality. When we talk about time we mean may our love for Christ be undying. That's the NIV translation. May our love for Christ be without end. May it be continuous and may it go on. But when you speak about character or quality, may our love for Christ be something that has no decay to it. No corruption in it. It is sincere and pure if you take the same word incorruptible that is found at the end of Ephesians and go through the Bible you'll see that there are Some eight different things that are mentioned to be incorruptible. I won't go through them all, but first of all, God is incorruptible. Romans chapter 1. We're given an incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Our bodies will be raised so that they are incorruptible and will no longer decay. We're giving an inheritance, 1 Peter chapter 1, that is incorruptible. We are born again by incorruptible seed, the word of God that comes to us. And our love for God is to be the same way without decay. Maybe it could be put this way Grace to all those whose love for Jesus is not shriveling away. (laughs) I love to eat a fresh, juicy apple. And you know, you buy it better yet, I was gonna say, buy from the store, better yet. Go to the orchard and pick that apple. And you wash it a little bit, which does nothing but makes you feel better. (laughs) And then you bite into that apple, and it's so juicy, and it gets messy. What what a treat, right? Take that same apple, sit it on your countertop in your kitchen for a few days, and it's the worst-looking thing in the world. And it just shrivels up. Or take a garden that is so beautiful because someone is tending it every day and making sure the weeds are pulled and uh, the the branches are pruned and all that is done so that it is growing beautiful. But even the writer of Proverbs said, said, I've kept other people's gardens. I've taken care of their affairs, but my own garden I've not kept. And it shrivels and decays and corrupts so you and I every day need to make sure that our love for Jesus is not shriveling away paul said get this to the church at ephesus this is revelation chapter 2 i have one thing against you you have left your first love Written 30 years, roughly after Paul wrote this, (laughs) they left their love. It shriveled away. The very thing that Paul prayed for, may God's wonderful unending grace be yours in abundance to those whose love for Christ is undying, but their love had a limit. And it shriveled away, it wasted away. And all the grace that you and I might enjoy is often forfeited because we are not maintaining white, hot love for Jesus. That's the important thing. Have you ever heard someone say love is blind? No, I don't think it is. I don't think love is blind, I think love just is able to see things that everyone else can't see. And sees the beauties that are far greater than the deficiencies that are more evident. Someone put it this way, I think true love is never blind but rather brings an added light an inner vision quick to find the beauties hid from common sight. That's true of your spouse. It's true of your kids. But our love for God needs to see hidden beauties that most people don't see. There's no fault in God. There's no darkness in God. But the greater we understand the dimensions of his love, the greater our love for him will be. And so every day, drink from the pool of the love of God for your soul and your love will not shrivel away. That's the secret. See the love of God every day. And your love won't shrink away. A father one time had to justly discipline his son for something that the boy had done. Gave him a spanking. The boy protested and the father said, son, I just want you to know I do this because I love you. And the rather impertinent child said to his dad, I'll be glad when I'm old enough to return your love. (laughs) Are you old enough to return love to God? Let's pray. What a vast difference there is between knowing God and loving God. Oh Lord, I pray today as many of us would quickly say we know God. We're saved. We've been forgiven by the grace of God through the work of Christ on the cross. We're children of God. We're following God. We love God. Do we? Or is our love shriveling away. Lord, help us to see a glimpse of your mighty love today so that our love will not waste away. In Jesus' name, amen.